it was just like we probably wasted two to four months on those flavor revisions when we could have just launched and very quickly understood from customers like, hey, this is the thing you need to change rather than focusing on stuff that didn't matter. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn why being a perfectionist is a big mistake, especially during the product development phase. What is multivariate analysis and why is it essential for targeting customers? And the changes you need to make when transitioning from website only to an omni-channel business. Before we get into our show, I want to share a strategy some businesses are using to help manage cash flow during COVID-19. They're selling gift cards. Gift cards give customers a way to support you right now. We've seen some creative ways to market them, like selling gift cards at a discount, giving special offers for customers who've redeemed them in the future, and adding free gift cards to high-value cards as a bonus. As part of Shopify's response to COVID-19, gift cards are now available on all Shopify plans. So you can start selling them right away. For more information, visit shopify.com slash gift card. Today, I'm joined by John Sherwin from Hydrant. Hydrant is a consumer wellness brand with a focus on function and proper hydration to provide holistic well-being and was started in 2018 and based out in New York. Welcome, John. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So the idea behind this business was um, you were lo- it sounded like you were looking out in the marketplace to find you know, better ways to, to hydrate. Tell us more about that. What, what, what problem were you trying to solve? Yeah. So for me, Hydration had kind of reared its head, or dehydration, I should say, had reared its head as an issue back in my college days. Um, it was a sort of work, work hard, play hard mentality, a lot of sports, a lot of socializing, and also trying to get good grades. And um, I found that I was going into what I would call a caffeine death spiral, where I was just drinking more and more caffeine, trying to stay energized. And uh, I noticed that there were some people in college who had figured out hydration with these little electrolyte packets. Now, these were very clinical, and it was the medical students who had figured it out. Uh, I tasted it. It was the grossest thing I've ever had, but it was very effective. And as a scientist myself, I'm always interested in things that are effective and do what they're supposed to do. So... um, at the time, I didn't really think about starting a business. I graduated, moved to the Bay Area, and started working at a tech startup there, but had much the same issue. Um, and so, tried all the products on the market, tried you know sports drinks, coconut waters, uh, powder packets, and nothing on the market tasted good, was also effective, didn't have artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners. Um, and so, I set out to make it. Uh, I was really solving a problem for myself. Uh, living a life more hydrated. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Now, you you mentioned that what you saw in the marketplace, like the, the missing piece of it was that it was, didn't taste good. What was it that you saw that, you know what, there's a better opportunity, there's a better, a better uh, I guess, packaging or better way to, 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 to solve this problem? So I think there's two, two kind of angles. One is a lack of education on the role that electrolytes play in hydration. So uh, I think... Even even myself at one stage, I was just chugging lots and lots of water because I'd heard, hey, hydration is good. And to most people, hydration is water. So you drink more water. Uh, the reality is without the right balance of electrolytes, you're not necessarily going to get all of those benefits, nor are you going to get them quickly. So you kind of end up spending a lot of time running to the bathroom 
and it's not an efficient way to enjoy the water. Um, so that that's like one piece, the education side. The other side of it was that the products that did contain that electrolyte content um, either had a ratio of electrolytes that was completely off balance for what you need, um, or they tasted gross. And and then taste is an important piece of the puzzle, you know, especially if I'm trying to create a product that people can use proactively as part of their their daily routine uh, to stay hydrated on a proactive basis rather than always just reacting to dehydration. Makes sense. And this this lack of education, I think it's an important point here where, you know, are, are people aware of even dehydration at all? Do they, are they, I guess just based on my anecdotal experience, it seems like people might not even be aware that they're being, they're dehydrated. So how do you solve this, this, this awareness problem of, you know, are you even dehydrated and are you solving it the right way? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm still trying to solve that problem, Felix, uh, like bringing, bringing awareness to people. So I, I mm-hmm. think, I'll come at this from a couple of angles. One is we as a species are pretty bad at interpreting the signals that our body sends us. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, Sometimes you might feel hungry and the reality is you're actually thirsty. And so you eat, but you are still hungry. So you eat more, but you were never hungry in the first place. Really, you were thirsty, but your kind of conscious brain interpreted that signal as being, hey, eat something but it was really trying to get you to drink something. So that's like one, one small example. Um, another one would be when you wake up in the morning and you feel tired uh, or groggy, you reach for caffeine instinctively. That's what our culture has taught us. Like caffeine wakes you up. That's what you should have. But really, you're probably just dehydrated because the main symptom of dehydration is fatigue. So I think like our job is to make people more aware of the signals their body sends them as they go through their daily life. It, it's, it's an awareness and an intentionality to um, like the things that we're putting into our body and, and listening to what is needed. The customers that do come in are ready to buy, like what, what are they? Are they athletes? Like what, describe your, your, I guess, typical customer. Oh, we have such a broad customer base. It, it's, it's both uh, a challenge and an opportunity because hydration is relevant to everyone. Um, so we definitely have that athletic base of customers. You know, I think based on the success of early sports drinks, people associate the word electrolyte with sports to some extent. And that's something that we absolutely benefit from. And we get customers who drink our product after sports or during, or even before sports to stay hydrated throughout to support that performance. The way we position ourselves though, is not so much just around sports. Um, we also talk about this, and I mentioned it earlier, this idea of proactive hydration. So it's, it's staying ahead of dehydration so that you're performing mentally and physically at your best throughout the day and honestly just feeling good. Um, hydration benefits so many different parts of your day. So what we found kind of from a demographic standpoint is it, it really does span all the way from kids through to older adults. Um, and what you will find is the use case just changes a little bit based on, on the demographic. So we have some people um, who are using it for sports, but I think it's more than 60% of our customers drink hydrant first thing in the morning. Uh, and that, that was very much a big uh, push from us early on was getting people to understand that morning moment I already described where uh, you wake up, you might think you need caffeine, but really you just need to get hydrated fast. Um, to like start feeling good early in the morning. So more than more than half of our customers are drinking it first thing in the morning. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's a very interesting insight. Now you have multiple products at this point. We mentioned the, the energy component, the hydration, we have immunity and, and sleep, these different kind of product lines. Which one did you start with, with first? We went straight to hydration. Hi- hydration was really the beginning. And from there, um, honestly, we, we're very consumer led. So our customers started asking us, hey, should I be drinking this hydrant before my morning coffee or after my morning coffee? And this question just kept coming. So eventually we were like, huh, maybe we should just make a product that replaces that coffee so that we don't have to feel this question. So we made the energy skew, which you know hits all of the major points of our product philosophy. So it hydrates you, but also we looked at the kind of problems with the different forms of caffeine that we take and, and improved it. So we added caffeine about the same uh, amount as a cup of coffee, but we also added 200 milligrams of L-theanine, which is an amino acid also found in green tea that has a kind of smoothing effect on the caffeine. So calms the jitters, reduces the crash you feel, and gives you this like really intense focus. Um, and we looked at the ratio you would find in, in green tea and matcha, even in black tea, and we basically flipped it. So you're getting more of this calming L-theanine than the caffeine, where typically uh, those caffeinated teas you're getting uh, more of the caffeine, less of the L-theanine. So we take the good things and like magnify them. Um, so it, it is a really unique caffeine experience. Uh, that was the second one. Third one was our immunity product. Um, we kind of wanted a way for people to take their daily immunity vitamins in a more delicious way. Uh, and so it's very much uh, a taste-driven experience. But as with all of our products, very research-driven functionals. So we have vitamin A, uh, B6, B12, C, D, and magnesium and zinc. Um, and, and like we cut out all the others. If you look at you know a legacy vitamin drink, what you'll see is there's a lot of uh, just a really long ingredients list. And part of our product philosophy is simplicity. So we pull out the stuff that isn't you know pulling its weight and only use those ingredients that are pulling that weight and and really delivering a result for you. And the most recent launch we had uh, was our sleep product. Um, So again, this one came from people who told us, hey, we're drinking hydrant before bed, which was never something we marketed the product for. Uh, And they were sort of asking us, could we market it for that? (laughs) You, You know, you should tell other people it's working so well for me. I'm sleeping more soundly. I'm getting up less during the night. And rather than just add one more use case to our existing hydration skew, we thought, well, hey, let's go to first principles here and think, how can we make a, a perfect sleep product? And that's what we did. So that was our most recent. And that brings us to our four. Amazing. So let's talk about the product development process. Then when you, especially with the first one, when you were, you mentioned you were trying to solve this problem for yourself, walk us through that very first attempt at developing this product. Yeah, for sure. So I studied biology at Oxford in the UK. and. I like to think of that as being a course of uh, academic cynicism. So one of the skills we were given is, uh, or taught, is to read through academic literature and question everything. So you'd look at, you know, results and conclusions, and you'd look at the data and the methods that were used in collecting the data and really understand what from this study can I rely on and what from the study is perhaps like a little bit weak. Um, And so when it comes to our product development process, we really leverage uh, that experience of mine and, and now you know, a, a group of scientists who help us of going through the existing data on any given ingredient and any given functional benefit that we're looking at. So for that first one, 
with the case of hydration, you know, back then it, it really was just me. So I was doing this research hands-on myself. So I was going through any academic literature I could find on hydration, on electrolytes, um, and the benefits of hydration and the, the sort of symptoms of dehydration and really trying to map out all of the research that had ever been done in this field and categorize each of the papers based on you know, how strong the evidence they presented for, let's say, the inclusion of magnesium was or the inclusion of potassium or a specific ratio of electrolytes. Once I'd done that, I built a functional spec for the product. And what that means is just saying, hey, like this product needs to have this much sodium, this much potassium, this much magnesium, this much zinc. It needs to have this much, uh, this many grams of sugar. Um, and then it gets into like the taste experience. And that's where it moves from being a sort of functional spec to being a food scientist's work. And I'm not a food scientist. Um, so that was where I started working with, um, you know, third parties to help me make this functional piece taste good. Uh, and so we had, you know, calorie targets, sugar targets, um, and taste profiles that we wanted to emulate. I, I knew that I wanted it to be a um, real fruit juice powder flavored drink. So a more subtle taste, but more realistic without as much of an aftertaste. And that was very much like the, the product that we were chasing early on. And it took, honestly, you know, this is one of the, the things I always talk about. A mistake that I made was trying to perfect the product for way too long at the beginning. Uh, I think I spent eight months on product development, which is looking back just insane uh, for a single skew um, stock keeping unit, so a single flavor. Um, and looking back, you know, I could have done that in three months because as soon as we launched, we got real feedback from real people and those people told us what was wrong with it. And, you know, they were right. It was, it was amazing to get that real feedback. Um, and and there's, there's no substitute for it. A paying customer is going to give you the most honest and useful feedback you can get. Yeah, I think this is a important point about perfectionism where you mentioned that it took you, you could have launched, you could have gotten this out less in less than half the time that you actually end up taking. And when we think, when we look back on it, what do you feel like you were doing that was extra that you were really just shouldn't have been spending time doing and should have gotten out into, into real customers' hands instead? It was really flavor tweaks at that point. So the, the functional spec was done, you know, in month month one. Uh, this is not including the research, right? So the research took quite a bit of time and and this was the the whole genesis of this company came from that research. So that wasn't something that we rushed. Um, but once we had that functional spec and took it to the food scientist, that was where I was learning a new skill and trying to like absorb as much information from these professionals as I could. And along the the journey, you know, we had various different versions of our initial flavor, which was lime. And, you know, I would keep going back and making small revisions. And eventually one of the food scientists was like, Hey John, you know, I'm not sure I can taste the difference between these. Um, but I was working with chefs on the tasting, like the taste panels and they were definitely tasting the difference. And, and I, I was too. So, uh, we kept making these tweaks. Ultimately when we launched the product, we immediately got feedback that it was too salty, which in hindsight, working with chefs who tend to use a lot of salt in their cooking, uh, and over time cooking, what I've, what I've read is that chef's food gets saltier over time because they use so much salt in their cooking compared to what most people do at home. So I think that's probably what happened. And it was a very easy thing to correct. It was just like we probably wasted you know, two to four months on those flavor revisions when we could have just launched and very quickly understood from customers like, hey, this is the thing you need to change rather than focusing on stuff that didn't matter. 
Yeah. Nowadays, when you are you know launching new product lines or working anything else in the business, what do you look for to make sure to 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 recognize when you're slipping into this perfectionism? Such a good question. Um, it's something that I, I have to you know be really mindful of it as we go because in a way it's different now because we have you know something to lose. I'm doing quotation marks here with my hands. Um, in that we've built this brand, we we have existing customers. There is an expectation from those customers on like what types of products we make, what they might taste like, how functional they will be, and so that that kind of can can be something that gets in the way of the creative process. Where you think, well, hang on a second, like if I make this product, for example, we made a no added sugar version of our hydrate product. Um, so it has no added sugar. We use monk fruit as the sweetener, and you know any of the non-nutritive sweeteners, so monk fruit, stevia, sucralose, um, there are various others, uh, they tend to have a, a sort of aftertaste to them, a slight aftertaste. Some people are more sensitive to it than others. We agonized over this decision for a really long time. Like, should we launch it? Shouldn't we launch it? Um, the sugar plays like a functional role in the hydration, but there are people who are telling us, hey, we love what your company's about, but we can't, we won't drink your product because there's sugar in it. And so we made this no added sugar and I thought there was going to be a rebellion from our existing customers because it was, it was you know, fundamentally different to our first products. And I think we hesitated. We probably took a few months longer than we should have because of that sort of pause. Now, is that a bad thing that we took a little bit longer and we're intentional about it? I don't know. Um, you know I think there's, there's a balance and you, and you really have to find it. But it's just good to be thinking about that idea of perfectionism and making sure it's not too powerful in your product development process. Mm, and the, the the big lesson that you you learned about this early on was that just get out to the customers and they can kind of inform you what direction to take, take next. So talk to us about getting those first customers with that first product. How did you, how were you able to, to get the first you know, folks to, to buy and try the product? Yeah, so I did a crowdfunding campaign like in the very, very early days of Hydrant. Um, I, it was a very small crowdfunding campaign and what I learned is that crowdfunding is a great way to sort of reach a few new people, but it's a, also a great way of getting your own community to support you. So family, friends, people you've worked with see the, the crowdfunding thing and they're willing to you know, take the risk of pre-ordering effectively. Um, and so those pre-orders paid for the first production run. I was able to make, I think it was 50,000 uh, packets of the, the, the product. Um, and that was, that was really step one. A lot of learnings were had in that process uh, in terms of marketing the product. What are the things people are interested in hearing about um, and which are the use cases that we should really be focused on? So that, that was step one. From there, we launched our Shopify site after that. And uh, it was a pretty kind of steady early phase of collecting as much feedback and learnings both on our marketing and on the product itself. Um, so we then went into this process of digital um, paid marketing. So uh, acquiring customers on Facebook, Instagram, Google, uh, and testing out different value propositions on different demographics of customers. That way we could understand, okay, you know, this um, value proposition. So for example, it might be drink this after sport. How do those customers behave or how does that value proposition work on different demographics of customers uh, in, in the longer run. So like, do they 
return and buy more product faster or slower than someone who comes in to drink it first thing in the morning, for example. Um, and so it was very much a learning phase while we were growing in the early days. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Makes sense. Now, you mentioned testing out different value propositions of different customers. I think this is, is, is a very important point about how to make your marketing dollars kind of go further. Talk to us about how you tested this. Like, what were you doing like, like tactically to test these different value props? So we did a, um, I guess I'm trying to think of like what the technical term for it is, a, a multivariate analysis. So we would create with using the same creative. So you keep the creative constant. And then you change the value proposition in the text under the creative. So it might be like a picture of our product with no other sort of contextualizing imagery. And then the, the copy might say, drink this after sports to get hydrated. And then a second version of that ad might have exactly the same image, but then it might say, drink this first thing in the morning to wake up with a rush of hydration. Uh, and then you know we might have four other versions of that ad. Then we would pick different audiences based on... I, I said demographics earlier, and that, that is true. We were definitely looking across you know, age ranges, where in the country people lived, but it was also interest-based. So you know, we'd look at rock climbers, we'd look at gamers, we'd look at um, pickleball players. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd find all these niche interests and try and understand like, which value prop resonates with which group because you don't want to boil the ocean with your marketing dollars. You can't just go out and have the most generic messaging for the most general audience. Um, that's, that's not going to be an efficient way to, to drive your marketing engine. And also, you're going to miss out on that kind of community uh, saturation where, you know, if it was rock climbers, for example, and we found a, a, a niche there of, of rock climbers love hydrant, they would tell each other and over time, you know, we'd, we'd get word of mouth within that community as well, which becomes cheaper than spending that money on, on advertising. So that, that was really the, the early stage was identifying those pockets of opportunity, both from a value prop standpoint, but also from like, what are these people interested in? Yeah, this, this, this um, I guess, term that you just use about community saturation and how you can miss out on that, I think is one of the most, uh, I think a great way to explain why you do want to kind of niche down, why you do want to focus on these kind of sub-markets or smaller demographics, because it really kicks off this, this word of mouth. Absolutely. And, and I think, Felix, this is an area that, you know, with 2020 hindsight, we did not do enough of it. We definitely did this testing, but I don't think we doubled down in a way that we could have early on. Um, you know, we've obviously had a great journey and, and things are going great. But uh, I think it would have been valuable to have those like niche communities early on as well. Uh, and we could have invested more there. Yeah, totally. Now, were there parts of this, this testing, these value propositions on, on different demographics, different interests, different customers that, that surprised you about, about what worked or even what didn't work? I mean, honestly, the morning, the drink, waking up and drinking hydrant first thing in the morning as a value prop surprised me. So the science is sound. The science is during the night, you lose water. So your body sweats more at any given temperature when you're asleep than when you're awake. And to cool your body and conserve energy, you sweat. Now that sweat evaporates. That's the cooling mechanism. 
And so when you wake up in the morning, most of the time you have no idea that you lost that water. There's no like evidence of it. Um, and so you wake up, you feel tired and groggy and everyone can relate to that. I, you know, I, I envy the people who can't relate to that because that means they're waking up feeling energized every single day. Um, and so it's a very relatable message, but I think we thought beyond water and coffee first thing in the morning, it would be tough to explain to people the benefits of hydrating more efficiently with a product like Hydrant. And so although the science made sense, I was worried it would be difficult for us to convey that value prop to consumers. Turns out people loved it. And then we got that feedback loop. So when you wake up, you're dehydrated, you drink our product, you feel the effect of it even more because you're coming from a state of dehydration. And then that feeds that cycle of us getting good reviews, people telling their friends. And, and that was really that early moment of momentum for us was finding that value prop that was frankly, like very differentiated in the market. We see other people doing it now as well. Um, but it was differentiated at the time and, and it really did lead to that early speed of growth. And I was surprised. Yeah. Now, once you do recognize a, a value prop like this, how do you use it in your marketing? How do you kind of organize it or manage all of the different types of value propositions for all the different kinds of customers? How do you make sure that the, the right customer is getting the right message? So that, that gets into like the way you structure your ad campaigns and, and such. Um, I, I have to admit, like that was not something I was super involved with. What we chose to do once we uncovered this value proposition and and looked at you know a few months of data on the customers who were acquired using that value proposition, we kind of like saw the the opportunity there and again decided to double down. So what we did is we put that value proposition on the front of our packaging. Again, no one else was doing it at the time, so it was like it was scary at the time. I, I was genuinely worried that putting it there was like a make or break moment for us. And I, at the time, probably thought it was going to be a break moment. Um, but what probably surprised me the most is people use the product the way you tell them to. I know that sounds like a, a not deep and meaningful insight, but <laughs> I was shocked. If you say, you know, drink this first thing in the morning, people do it. And then they feel the difference. And then they write the review like, yeah, I did this thing, which I thought was weird at the time. But oh my gosh, it really worked for me. So I, I guess to answer your question more directly, we doubled down by putting it on the packaging and by putting it on our website, on the landing pages, and really leaning into that specific moment. And over time, we've leaned back from that a little bit just because you know we have four different products now and we have products for different moments in the day. Um, it, it's not that we don't want people to still drink the product first thing in the morning if that's what works for them. It, it's more that we recognize as a brand, we've grown and we really represent a sort of proactive wellness platform with different products for those different moments in your day, um, which is a you know a different marketing challenge in and of itself. Yeah, and, I, and what I feel like I'm hearing too is that you you recognize these these almost like use cases, and you you centered or you created marketing and messaging and these value propositions around these use cases. So when, if there are kind of two different demographics, two different interests that are using the same product, do you have an issue with maybe conflicting uh, value propositions that you would want to use because they might be using it for different use cases? There, There might be, but it's not something we've, it's not something customers have told us. So what I mean by that is, uh, I don't think any of our value propositions are directly conflicting each other. Mm. It's never sort of like, don't consume this in the morning if you're this type of person. Do consume if you're this type of person, which would create that conflict. It's more like 
there are just so many different ways you can be better hydrated throughout the day and different reasons to be hydrated. And so what we do is try and surface all of those. It comes back to you know what I was saying at the beginning of, of our chat here, where it really is an education problem. A lot of people don't necessarily know all of the activities that lead to them becoming dehydrated. They don't necessarily know what some of the symptoms of dehydration are or what they should be looking for. Um, you know, a bad mood, for example, it's been shown in a number of studies that being dehydrated leads to you having a bad mood. If you stay hydrated, you're going to feel better throughout the day and, and, you know, have a good mood. Just little things like that. We make sure we're explaining to all of our customers, hey, here are like 10 possible ways you could use the product. They're going to focus on the ones that matter to them. And it's not my job to like make sure they care about one that doesn't matter to them. It's just making sure they're aware of the ones that do. Yeah. And when you were testing these these value propositions out, were you just guessing as many things as possible or were there kind of troves of ideas somewhere that you that you were able to uncover? So I, I think it comes back to our product development process, which is is very rooted in academia and, and what what is proven. So that was really the starting point was, hey, what do we know is a symptom of dehydration? Uh, as a sort of sign that we can explain to people, hey, you know, do you feel this way? It could be because you're dehydrated. Uh, and, and so we really leveraged the work of scientists that have come before us to explain, um, and, and I guess, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not popularize, but um, sort of take stuff that was fairly technical language and explain it to consumers in a way that is fun and engaging um, and, and explains how this product can be useful to them. Totally. Now, when you were uh, kind of going customer led with a lot of the, the product development process and understand what product lines to 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 unlock next or focus on next, where where were we getting this information? Was it just like reviews, or how are they? How are you finding the 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 these the feedback from your customers? Yeah, so a number of different places, and I, and I think like my advice to anyone starting out would be to open as many lines of communication as you can. People want to communicate with you however they want to. And it is unique to individuals. So um, reviews is probably the main place. Having a really easy review system so people can kind of write their feedback for you is one. Um, and we pipe those reviews into our Slack, you know, our company Slack channel so that you know I'm in there every day reading reviews constantly, even now, um, because it, it informs better product development. People will share, some people, not all, but some people will share like very detailed information around how they're using the product, where it's like failing them and where it's working for them, uh, which is, you know, a, a goldmine for me from a product development standpoint to, to just do a better job. Um, so that, that would be one. The other one is comments on ads. Uh, and I think that's an overlooked one. We are, as a company, we are in the comment section of our ads. We're engaging with people. People will have questions about function. They'll have questions about ingredients. They don't necessarily want to click through on the ad. We're there engaging with them saying, hey, oh, here's the information you were looking for. And uh, in that process, some people will comment, oh, I don't want this because you know, in my diet, for example, I, I can't even consume three grams of sugar. So like, this product won't work for me. And it was that kind of thing that led to us developing the no added sugar product. Um, because we didn't have a no added sugar product, we weren't getting that feedback in reviews, but it was coming to us through that Facebook ad comment section where those people were never becoming customers. So we had to be there. Otherwise, we would never have got that feedback. Um, and then I guess the, the other place is having a really switched on customer experience team. Uh, and so that's an area we invested in early on because 
our business is driven largely by subscription. And when you have a subscription, you want to make sure that you're feeling well taken care of and you trust the people you're, you're you know, giving your hard-earned dollars to. Um, and so we invested heavily in CX and um, you know, any feedback that comes in through there gets kind of uh, put into our same Slack channel so that we're taking it into account as we develop new products. Yeah, I, I like the the com- look at the comments and, and the ads. I think what what you are revealing here is that it's just as important to recognize why people are not buying your product as much as why they are buying it. Right? You expand a new product lines, bring new products for you, and maybe there's misconceptions about your product that you can clarify in, in your marketing or messaging. Now. One one big switch for you also was changing from direct to consumer selling through your website only to omni-channel. Tell us about that. When did this happen, and what was that shift like? Yeah, so we we were initially a one hundred percent direct consumer on Shopify. Um, we had a subscription component very early on, and that was like phase one. We then added an Amazon channel, um, which was sort of phase two. So we had we were able to capture some of that natural search that was happening on Amazon, as well as doing the the work of bringing customers to our Shopify page. Uh, I think the way we looked at it was the playbook that worked for early direct-to-consumer success stories um, was not going to be possible for newer consumer brands. And and that playbook was this sort of Facebook uh, ad spend arbitrage where you could acquire customers so cheaply using that Facebook digital ad spend. we very early on were just under the impression like this isn't going to be how we grow this company quickly and how we grow it big. What is going to be big is retail. Now, retail and you know brick and mortar is just a whole beast of its own. It's like it's like a different company almost the way that it operates. But what you get is just this like massive opportunity to get in front of customers. So we first did a very small version of that. We opened Whole Foods in the Northeast. I think it was 47 stores and we made so many mistakes in terms of like what type of packaging we used and you know how we talked about the product on packaging because we were a direct consumer brand. We hadn't thought about you know the 3 seconds you have of someone's attention when they're looking at a shelf next to like four competitor products. Um and so that was you know a humbling experience for us to get better and we've since gone on to really roll out more. We're in Walmart nationwide, we're in HEB, we're in CVS um and and GNC as well and and you know now we we are being seen in a context where i i don't have the benefit of being able to stand next to each shelf and say hey like do you have any questions about our product like do you have any feedback so i don't have the equivalent of the facebook ads i don't have the equivalent of um the sort of reviews on the product all we get is sales data from the retail partner um and it's scary it's like you know taking your your it's like like putting your baby out into the real world in a way um, and, and having to learn a whole new way of uh, marketing your brand and, and trying to get that feedback as well. Yeah. Can you say more about, about that or the, the, the marketing the changes that you had to make now that people are, again, like you said, seeing your product in a different context and maybe starting with packaging. You said that you learned things there. Can you talk to us about what kind of changes that, that you've made to, to address some of the, the, those, 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 I guess, issues? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, We've we've gone through a lot of iterations since since our first product got onto the the shelf at Whole Foods. Um, so a few major points. One was we were very minimalist with our packaging because on 
on our website landing pages, on our Facebook ads. You have so much space and time even to explain what the product is. You can make it look a certain way. You can add you know, moving elements on an image uh, and, and audio. You can have voiceover of me explaining the benefits of the product. It's a very rich experience. Um, when you're in retail, you have none of that. You just have the, like, the front of your pack. That is your billboard. There's nothing else. Uh, like there can be other things that you invest in, but you don't get those when you just when you're just starting out. It takes a little bit of time to work up to that. So we had this super minimal thing, which which said like the brand name. We called our product at the time Rapid Hydration Mix, and we had on the front of the pack this wake up with a morning rush of hydration, um, and some some dotted elements of basically our logo. That was it. That was the front, and it was uh, the color of the flavor that was inside, and didn't do enough work to tell the customer like why they should buy. It was very simple explaining what the product was, but it didn't say why they should buy. And that, that was the weakness. So we've spent a lot of time um, kind of like shifting what information is on the front of pack to give them uh, kind of more of a reason to pick it up, turn it over and look at the back, or just pick it up and put it in their basket and move on. Um, the other thing is as we've launched new product lines, we realized that having our product be the color be flavor driven was going to cause problems down the line. So we, at the time, I think had lime, grapefruit, and blood orange hydration products on the shelf at Whole Foods. That made sense. They were all the same variety and there were three different colors. Made sense. Uh, when we launched in Walmart, we had three products again. It was blood orange, lime, and raspberry lemonade. Now, the raspberry lemonade had caffeine in it as well. And there was an icon on the packaging and, and also like the words on it that say very clearly like, hey, this has 100 milligrams of caffeine in it. Um, but the color was the sort of deep raspberry color. And that means like the consumer is having to do work looking at the shelf, figuring out, okay, these things look the same. Oh, wait, this one is somehow slightly different. And they have to like go a level deeper in the information hierarchy to figure out how it's different. And so we've evolved our branding it's a, it's a very slow process once you're in retail because you have to like move um, inventory through uh, your retail account before they buy more but we've moved to having the color be the function and the flavor be the secondary color um, just so that it's really simple to understand oh this is the energy product this is the sleep product this is the hydration product um, and that, that's been I think a, a major learning for us and a big help for customers at the shelf to understand what we sell yeah, does that does that have any uh, detrimental impacts when you make these shifts uh, to address the the kind of retail, the physical, uh, I guess, appearance of the product compared to what you're displaying on, on your website? I don't think so. Uh, I think if if we were a massive brand already that was sort of like known nationally uh, from being in all kinds of different retailers, it might be a little bit more challenging. But we're we're fast growing. Even though it feels like we're you know, pretty large online, um, whether it be DTC or Amazon, in the like large country that is America, we're, we're still just a drop in the ocean. And so I think it's easy to worry, and this comes back to that perfectionism idea, it's easy to worry about, like, is this perfect? Are people going to be sort of disappointed in the way the brand looks now versus before? The reality is we've probably hit like a percent of Americans and we should be thinking about how we can best present ourselves to the remaining 99% uh, 
rather than thinking just about the 1% who've already tried the product. They already like us, you know? And, and I think, um, obviously, we don't want to disappoint them, but the reality is customers want you to do well when you're a, a small company and uh, they're very forgiving on these kinds of changes. Yeah. What about when you when you were when you transitioned to like an online marketplace like Amazon? Are those learnings applicable there too? Because I could imagine that your product on like Amazon is going to show up next to competitors as well. Can there be learnings uh, that can be applied to 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 especially for listeners out there that might not have their products in physical retail, but they're on a marketplace like Amazon? Can you also apply some of those lessons to to the online marketplace? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think you have to be testing the different um, value props or benefits of your product, as well as what what people care about. Um, and 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 you don't have a lot of time on a marketplace like an Amazon when you know three similar products are being presented to the customer. You have to grab their attention and you have to get them the information they're looking for in a heartbeat. You don't have much much time, and so. Uh, it, it's less about the packaging; it's more about the page, like the the listing, in that scenario. And and it, it absolutely is a learning to understand. Okay, what information matters on Shopify? How is that information different in an Amazon setting? How is that information different in a retail setting? In retail, packaging is everything. On Shopify, like there are a number of other richer elements that you can add. And on Amazon, it's sort of like somewhere between the two. Um, so it, it's definitely a challenge understanding how the information hierarchy plays in the different channels, but um, retail is, you know, the the one where simplicity is king, and you really have to just like go go down to the the core roots of what benefit your product provides to a customer, and you can like build out from there and kind of work backwards to Amazon and then to Shopify. Awesome. Now, when it comes to the website. How has the website evolved over time as you're learning these things? Like you mentioned that there are elements that you can add to your to your website that can can answer a lot of questions that your customers have. What else have you done to to kind of address the the, the messaging or the branding when it comes to your website? So we do a lot of A/B testing, um, and that usually happens on a landing page, which is slightly separate to our website. Um, but that helps us hone in on the messaging we're using. That's a little bit more on the value prop side than the brand side. So I, I guess to get more into the branding piece, we have evolved it over time as our kind of understanding of what matters to consumers has changed, uh, as well as as our company has changed. So our version one of the company was we were a hydration business. We made one product. We just made hydration. Then we added the energy line, and we were still kind of a hydration business and figuring out what the next step was. Now we've added immunity, we've added sleep, and there's going to be more developments in the wellness space over time. And we've so had to update our understanding of who we are and what we represent to consumers. And that has updated our branding at each of those steps, where now we really think of ourselves as playing at the intersection of water and wellness. Um, because hydration is such a core pillar of someone's wellness. And so our branding has had to update, I, I would say like almost grow up to, to represent that larger vision that we now are, are tackling than when we were just a single product company. Yeah. One thing I noticed too, about on the website that I'm starting to see more and more the, of the more successful stores using is the, the idea of a quiz. Tell us more about that. Like what was the idea that the, the genesis or maybe about why to have a quiz on, on, on your website? So there are a couple of reasons you, you would use a quiz. So one is we wanted to understand our customers better to better solve their problems and, and really 
thinking about that from the product development standpoint. What can I learn about our customers from the answers they give to our quiz so that I can make better products? The other piece is we have now a suite of products. It, it made a little bit less sense when we only had a hydration product, but now that we have multiple options, um, you know, it may be that someone doesn't drink caffeine. It may be that someone doesn't consume sugar. Uh, there are differences in customers and we want to like help them quickly find the products that will solve their problems. Anything that can remove friction or like mental fatigue or mental drag, I should say, for people who are searching for something to solve that problem is a good thing. And the quiz represents that where we ask a series of simple questions based on the answers you give us, we're able to say, hey, you know, you should drink this combination of our products. Uh, and, and, and that should be like your starting point with our brand. And if over time, you know, they want to try some of the other products, that's great too. But it, it, it's really removing that friction to find what, what might work the best for them. Yeah. And what other apps do you use on your website too, or even just in the business in general to help, to help run the business? Subscription is a big one. Um, we have a subscription app connected to our Shopify uh, that allows us to do that recurring billing. We also have Klaviyo for email. Um, this is you know, just like an automated email and campaign email tool that uh, allows us to connect with our customers more easily. Um, same thing for text. SMS is an increasingly growing area. So we use Postscript, um, which is very similar to Klaviyo. It allows you to sort of automate based on what your customers' actions are, automate a message that gets sent to them, um, which is really useful. And, and personally, like I prefer that type of marketing to the campaign-driven one. And this is a personal thing. <laughs> um, because you do the work once, and it keeps working for you. It's sort of a set it and forget it type mode, um, where I can make a post-purchase funnel um, or flow of emails and texts that will just feed information to the customer at the right time based on like when they tried the product, which product they ordered. And so I can like be really careful and minutely design the perfect flow of information to that customer. Um, and I can just leave it for, you know, six months before I have to update it again with campaign emails. You have to like constantly be working on it and you spend a lot of time and money on like graphic designers and coming up with that new content. Um, so I'm a big believer in, those email automations and SMS automations. And, and we definitely utilize both of those in a big way. Yeah. And because education, as you had mentioned, is such a kind of big challenge that you're constantly uh, attacking. What are some of the ways that you are educating your, your customers throughout the, the kind of funnel once they've entered your, 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 your marketing world? So there's two main education areas. One is when to use the product. So educating them on all of those possible use cases, because it may be that the one value prop that we start with, so like drinking it first thing in the morning, doesn't work for them for whatever reason. It might be like in their morning routine, they only drink a certain drink or they like to have a juice or they like to, they're not willing to sacrifice their coffee, which is totally fine. In which case I want to make sure that customer knows, Hey, there are other ways you can consume this product and still get the benefits. And let me tell you like a few of those options. So that would be one main area of education. The other one is around how to like mix the product for best results. Um, and so that, that really comes down to like temperature of water. Are there any other things they should mix it with? Uh, how can they make sure it tastes the best for them? Um, taste is, is such a challenge because it's so subjective. And you know, while one person might like something super sweet, another person might want it just to be really sour and not sweet at all. And balancing that out um, is tricky. So 
by giving sort of instructions for people with different tastes, we're able to maximize the chance that they'll find the time to use it that they most enjoy and the way to enjoy it, um, you know, from a taste standpoint or experience standpoint. Um, so those are really like the main prongs of education that we think about. Awesome. So drinkhydrant.com is the website. And I'll leave you this last question, John. What, what would you say is the, the single piece or single area of focus that you would love to spend more time on in, the next com- in this coming year? I love product development and I love finding cutting edge areas to innovate for us with our new products. And so that's where I want to spend the majority of my time this year uh, is, is doing stuff that has not been seen before in this space. We were early to powder and hydration. There's a, a lot more people coming into the space. So we really need to make sure we're staying at the cutting edge and, and I'm excited for some of the stuff in the pipeline. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, John. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.